beginning at Matthew 5 and at verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Worldview of Jesus here is interesting. We're looking in church services now at the book of Jonah. Some ideas right here in this passage that are pretty similar to what we're dealing with in the book of Jonah. It says, he sends his rain. That rain belongs to God. Uh, it says he sends these things to us. He's the one who's in control. You know, in the book of Jonah, when Jonah gets on that ship, this is just an aside, but God sends a storm. God's sovereign over the storm. In the midst of the storm, God sends a fish. God's sovereign over the fishes. Jonah goes and finally gets it, and he's going to go and do but he's not doing anything like the storm did or anything like the fish did. He's reluctant doing what he's doing. Then after Jonah goes outside the city, well, you see that uh, God sends a gourd plant to grow over Jonah, gives him shade. The next thing God does is he sends a worm to eat the gourd so it dies. And then God sends a scorching heat seems like the only person God can't send freely is us. That's a message from the book of Jonah. We need to see how much we need to be more malleable in God's hand. Now, that's, that's in a sense what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about that. Um, did any of you see the, the royal wedding back, what, it's been a year or so now? I, I watched it, I did, and uh, I get up early, so it was on, and I thought, well, I'm going to watch this. I thought, wow, what would it, wouldn't it be cool to be able to preach in that church? That's kind of what I thought. I thought, well, I, that would be way cool. Well, Jesus is preaching. We could get the idea that it's folks like that that would be in a church like that that Jesus would be preaching to. We need to get away from that entirely. That's not his audience or his congregation. Um, as we look at this passage that we're dealing with here, this is an illustration. This whole passage is an illustration. And it's, it's the final illustration, and it's the highest illustration in a chain that Jesus has been making concerning us having a heart, a heart like he would have developed within us, a heart like his heart, a heart like his heavenly Father's heart. 
Now, when we come and look at this and see Jesus as a preacher, if we go back to chapter 4 and look at a few verses, we can see the congregation that Jesus preached to. It's just very clear. It says in chapter 4 that it was up in the area of the Galilee. The people there were living in darkness. In other words, there wasn't a lot of high-quality spiritual preaching from God's word that was coming to these people that were living in darkness and in the shadow of death. It said when Jesus came that a great light shined upon them. Well, go towards the end of chapter 4, and it says they were coming to him. Now, if you want to see a messy lot, you look at the people that were coming to Jesus at the end of chapter 4. There were people with paralyzations. There were people there that were demon-possessed. There were people that were there that were diseased. There were people there that had illnesses. There were people there who were just kind of nondescript. I think they would have really done well on an Oprah show because they just had pain. That's all they had, just pains. They all came and followed Jesus. Now, what does it say that Jesus did? He healed them all. Now, as a result of him healing them all, he was teaching. He's healing them all. Then the multitudes really increased. Now, if you begin to think of what Matthew is saying in chapter 4, it's these people and their constituencies, their friends, their families, it's these kinds of people. Well, it's these kinds of people the Centers for Disease Control would probably tell us to avoid. But they surrounded Jesus. And now Jesus is speaking to them. Now, we, we see that it's quite a contrast from the royal wedding. But it's Jesus that's preaching to these people. What, what's, the, what's the correlation? Well, the correlation that Jesus would have us receive is simple. If I can heal all of these external things, I would call them personally minor things, then when Matthew, when Matthew begins to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, what Matthew's telling us is this. Jesus is able to heal your major organs. He's able to heal your heart. So on the one hand, you see the people he has healed, and now you see the people he wants to further heal, and he wants to heal us. He wants our heart. He wants to make it a heart that, at the very core, is having all of its needs met by him. Now, when he says here in the Beatitudes, blessed, when Jesus came to these people and began to speak to them, all of these conditions that we see out there are not spiritual virtues. They're spiritual realities. Poor in spirit. You know and I know all around this city people that don't have a breath of the divine blowing anywhere near them 
from the way they conduct themselves. Now, when Jesus begins to speak to them because of something outward like these healings that brought them into his presence, he says, you're blessed. Because when you come into my presence, you come into the presence of God's power to change. I can change your physical situation. I am able to change your internal, spiritual, mental condition. I have the power to do that. You stay with me. You will be blessed. And then he goes down and he deals with all of these various conditions here that are basically people that are right out in front of them. All right? So we come to Jesus and we stay with Jesus and incrementally in this area of our life and another area of life and this relationship and in this circumstance, we see that Jesus is blessing our lives. He's making us the kind of people that he would have us to be and using us in ways he would have us to be used. And, well, what do we find that we are? Well, that's the next section. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is a powerful thing. When salt comes into contact with things, it can do good things and it can do some bad things. Uh, one, well, down in South Florida where I grew up, you had all this chrome trim they hung on the cars. Remember all those cars in the 60s and 70s had all that trim on them? That was a perfect place for the salt water from the surf to hang on. And when the salt water hung long enough on your car there, you had a hole. The salt rusted through it. On the other hand, good, uh, just the other day I opened up a package of Virginia cured ham. What was it cured with? Salt. It was delicious. Wife said, you want a BLT? I said, yeah, I'll have a BLT with that. I've been saving it. So it was great. Salt has a preserving. Many of you maybe picked up the shaker. Enhances things. Salt has power. You're with Jesus. Jesus changes you. You're out in the world with people that don't know Jesus or maybe people that belong to Jesus but still need encouragement in one way or another. You're salt. Other people are more salty than you sometimes, so you're the beneficiary. Sometimes you're more salty than the others in the situation, and you're the one that brings benefit. Well, he says you're the light of the world. If you're blessed by Jesus, you're the light of the world. And you go out into dark corners where the light's not shining, and you bring illumination. Uh, people don't stumble. Uh, people benefit because of your presence. Sometimes you've got a bad case of the moody blues, and another Christian shows up, and they uh, float your boat. Happens all the time to me. I don't know about you, but... Seems to be my daily lot. Uh, people call me up. I need help. I call people up. Maybe I'm thinking I'm just there on the phone, but 
pretty soon I find out they're helping me. Salt, light, blessed by Jesus. Then we get into the ethics of what it means uh, to live. Well, if we're going to live the way Jesus wants us to live, we need to live in the light of what he's, what he's saying here in the Sermon on the Mountain, chapter 5 and, and further. All of the sermon is about God's heart and those who attach themselves to Jesus. It's about God's power in the lives of those people who attach themselves to Jesus. It's about God's ethic in the lives of people that attach themselves to Jesus. Again, chapter 4, Jesus has the authority to heal. Chapter 5 through 7, he has the authority to change your heart. You come to the end of the sermon in chapter 7, 28 and 9. It says, Jesus taught with authority. They knew it. He was not teaching like their scribes and Pharisees. Where Jesus taught, people changed. Now, you've been experiencing that. Well, we come to this passage, and we're going to look now at, um, say, these verses here. Um, 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, I'd been a campus pastor at Jackson, Mississippi, Bellhaven College, finished seminary there, I believe God had called me to go to a church in a little town of South Alabama called Floralla to kind of get where it was at. I could look out the window of the church manse across the lake, and half the lake was in Florida. So we were right there on the line. Well, I, I'm in the library, or not in the library, I'm in the bookstore at the seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. In walks a young man, and he's just left that church. He says, you got an enemy in Florala, Alabama. And it's the church treasurer. And I began to understand real quick that that pastor, that the most difficult time in that pastor's month was that day when the church treasurer would come to where he lived next door to the church and hand him his paycheck. That that was a time of great stress and strife for both parties. Worse was when this pastor had to present the treasurer with church-related expenses for reimbursement. You want to talk about one that pushed things almost over the top, this was something that this pastor did not want to do. So I was told, you got an enemy. He does not like to do this with the pastors. Well... I sat there, and I thought, okay, Psalm 100. I'm going to pray Psalm 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. I'm going to pray for that church treasurer. After all, being a treasurer is serving who? The Lord. I'm going to pray that this man is able to serve the Lord with gladness. 
Psalm 120 says this, When I speak, I am for peace, but they are for Wolwa. You know about Wolwa? This guy could be for war, I'm telling you. Well, every time I'd have to go down to visit this man, I would say, Lord, I'm all about peace. Would you please make this an occasion of peace? Now, here it says that in this situation, there are going to be people that are going to be enemies. You're to love them. You're to pray for them. I had to deal with this man. He was a tough cookie. I don't think we had one stressful, strifeful word in four and a half years of living blocks apart. I can still see his signature today. It was perfect. He learned how to write with a fountain pen in the old school with everything in circles. I swear to you, I think if you were to take his signature when he wrote it when he was 30 and when he wrote it when I knew him in his 70s, I think you could have laid the one on top of the other and you couldn't have told which was the one of an old man and which was the one of a young man. I found things in this man that were beautiful, things that I could appreciate. It didn't stop him being difficult. But we never had difficulties. I'm not perfect. Um, I don't... I don't go through life looking for trouble, but most of you that know me know that I'm not a pleaser. Um, I'm not one of those codependent people that think that you need to think that I'm okay all the time. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we're talking about is having a heart, a heart that is after the Lord Jesus' heart. When he was on the cross, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they martyred Stephen, the stones are coming, the heavens is open. What does he say? Hold not this sin against them. I'm sure he prayed other times. We need to be praying all the time. There are people out there that see us as their enemy. Many times we can't change them, but if we act as people with a kingdom heart, the situation changes, the dynamics change. God's using us. We're being salt. We're being light. We're showing that we've been blessed. We're showing that we have a relationship with Jesus. But it requires us staying close to Jesus in prayer, in devotion, and obedience. In this passage now, 
in verse 45, it says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's in control. And so God the Father, I know, loves me. I know that. I know he does me good. He sends the rain. He sends the sunshine. Uh, lately, I, I don't know. I got tired of uh, my theology and other people's theology. So I'm tired of the theology. If you ask somebody how they're doing, they say, well, I'm doing better than I deserve. So if you got that, I got an improvement for you. So people say, well, how are you today, John? Happy. Now, if you go and look at some of the translations of the Sermon on the Mount and you come to the Beatitude, instead of saying bless, what's the word they use? Happy. <laughs> now, generally, I'm a pretty happy boy. We need to be happy. God the Father loves us. If you can't be happy over that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because all those other people won't try to make you happy. They'll try and put you in a position where you've got to make them happy to be happy. And that's a mess. God loves us. We should be happy. But here's a problem. Son of a gun. God loves the person that's in front of me. God loves the person that's behind me. God loves the person to the right and to the person to the left. And they may not be believers. He sends their happiness on the just and the unjust alike. What's he saying? If God is good to these people, what does the scripture say? Do good to all men, especially those who are the household of God. Why did they have to put that second, why did they have to put that first part in there? Why couldn't they just do good to those who are of the household of God? Well, the author of that epistle knew what Jesus had said. The Father does good to all men. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be and do good to all manner of people. What are we reflecting? We're reflecting that we've been blessed. We're reflecting that we understand we have an obligation to be salt and light. We understand that there's an ethical demand upon us that we're to be like our Heavenly Father. Jesus was just like him. I and the Father are one. So this is what he's calling us to do here. Yesterday, someone suggested to me that I'd have more time if I'd quit helping people with their broken-down stuff. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure it's true. I'm sure it's true. Uh, the other day, a lady called, and she said, All my men are, take, are working, and my sister's bro broken down at the hospital over here at Coliseum. So I told Lolly Bragg, I'll see you a little later. The bat light's been shined up in the cloud, and I'm on my way again. So I went home and put on a little dirty clothes, 
got a couple bags full of tools, jumped in the car, drove over there. I thought, well, how sweet. This lady had opened up the hood. Well, that was nice. Got the heat out of the engine compartment. And I looked down when I got there, and I says, well, this is really interesting. She's already taken the battery cable off the battery. So I reached down to grab the battery cable, and the woman shrieked. I can't believe I didn't see that. Well, that was all that was wrong. So I just took the battery cable and put it on there and got my little wrench. She'd had the car repaired a couple weeks back. The mechanic had taken the battery loose, battery cable loose. When he got done with his repair, he pushed it back down. She went through one of the speed bumps over at the Coliseum Hospital. Boom, off went the battery cable. Happens all the time. I guess I'd have more time if I didn't do that. But you know what? The second hand would still click. The second hand would still click. If I didn't do that, I'd be doing what? Something else. We're not neighborly. We don't know our neighbors, and our neighbors don't feel much like we'd be a place to go if there was a problem. Not the way I grew up in South Florida. We need to know our neighbors, we need to be available to them, we need to do good. Simple things, we can do that. Salt, light, bless, we're doing what we're supposed to do. You come down here. And you look what's saying in verse 46 and 47. He's saying the same thing, but Jesus has a wonderful knack of changing the perspective, shining a different light on things. Uh, but he's saying the same thing. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that with other tax collectors? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the Gentiles or the pagans act like this way? Now, this verse is an obvious outreach verse. I mean, this is, this is a little more intentional than accidental. We're actually looking and realizing that there are people out there that are not like us that we should extend ourselves to because we've been blessed by Jesus. We're to be his salt. We're to be his life. And we're to be thinking about this, that there's opportunity with people all around us all the time. But do we have a heart for them? That's what Jesus is asking us. This is all about the heart. Jesus is teaching about the heart. He's inspecting the heart. He's blessing the heart. He's helping the heart. He's training the heart. Simply, Jesus wants to own the heart. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned John Calvin. Here was his pulpit right in front in the wood. In relief, there was a hand. Thumb was forward like this. In the hand was a flame. In the flame was a simple valentine-shaped heart. Around it in Latin, it said this, 
My heart I give to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. I think John Calvin understood this part of the Sermon on the Mount. My heart I give to you. What's Jesus doing as he's manipulating the aspect of our heart? He's saying, I want to own it. I want to control it. I want to direct it. I want to guide it. I'll bless it, but I want to bless it not to bless it. I want it to be salt. I want it to be light. I want to use that heart. Probably someone else's heart for you brought you to Jesus. Probably the way it worked. Certainly was for me. So we look at this. I've got all kinds of friends. I even have friends that are Baptists. Now, some of them are a little weird, but I love them. You know, I love them so much I even married a Baptist after she repented. But I'm into that kind of stuff, okay? I'm broad-minded because what I see here. I got pagans that are friends. They're my friends. They're pagans. I do for them. Sometimes they do for me a whole lot better than my Christian brothers and sisters do. I've got some people out here on the street. There's one of them in particular. I just particularly think he's a great guy. He's a manipulator par excellence. He's been working these streets forever. I saw him out here one day, and I said, you know, I saw you out there on Arkwright Road walking by the... Uh, the, the Chick-fil-A is pretty good out there. He says, I never, I never go out there. I never go out there. Well, last Friday we were eating out there at the mall, and we walked from the whatever the Mexican place was over to the Barnes and Nobles to get a coffee, and there he was, and he saw me. He got down <laughs> off this and he started <laughs> walking away. I said, ha, ha. I know what you're doing out here. You ain't got no job out here. I love the guy. I think he's got, if he could take his personality and put it to work, he'd probably be a millionaire. He's got a better personality than I think anybody in this room. He's, but goodness sakes alive. You got to love the guy. Isn't that what we say? You got to love him. All right. I think, you know, I've got some friends that are gay. I could go on and on. You get the picture, don't you? We can't just love people that are like ourselves. The kingdom won't be extended. We have to be intentional. We need to find some of these people. Maybe you've lost some of these people. Maybe you need to reconnect with some of these people. One goofy guy from the Marine Corps days sent me something. He found my name on one of those social media things. Why I ever put my name on that, I don't know. How he found it, I swear, I think he's in San Francisco. How he found it, I have no clue. But I got a clue that we're going to be talking. It wasn't me doing it. We've got to be intentional. The last thing we see here, we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We need to strive at these things. We need to repent of being totally 
apathetic. You may even be turned off by the message. You need to repent of it. You need to pray for faith. You need to pray for growth. You need to cry out to God. You need to have a desire. You need to love what He loves. Because He's merciful, we need to work at being merciful from our heart. It says be perfect. I don't think I'm there. I don't think I'll ever be there. But I think I'll continue to do what the text says and strive. What are we thankful for? Jesus was what? Perfect. Just like his heavenly father, he was perfect. We know what he did on the cross. We know what he accomplished in the resurrection. We know he's at God's right hand. He sent the Holy Spirit from God's right hand to come into your life to give you the power to do these things. That's what he's done. But he's also sending you constant replenishment that your sins are forgiven in his name, that he's going to build you up, and he's going to use you. Got to give him your heart. What did Calvin say? My heart I give to you promptly and sincerely. That's what we need to be doing day after day. God will make us salt. God will make us life. We serve him, and he blesses us more. That's the promise and a reality. Let's pray. We thank you for this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Father, very much what we need to be and do as we move about this city in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, in our churches, wherever we go. May we show we're blessed by being salt and light. And we pray this for the honor and glory of Christ and for the joy of seeing how you're going to use us. We thank you in Christ's name, amen.